Today will be the ending of this three-part series that began with idolatry and apostasy. And I want you to hear this from the very beginning. Idolatry and apostasy always has an ending. It always goes somewhere. The story of Jeroboam, idolatry and apostasy ended somewhere. Today, you're going to see how idolatry and apostasy ends. The word is called abandoned. Abandoned. If you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary so that our English word can be properly identified, it is to be left without protection, to be left without care, to be left without any support. It is to be abandoned. Abandoned is to be left by the owner. To be left to fall into a state of disuse. To be left to fall into a state of disuse is to be abandoned. Now, I chose this picture today. You probably won't get the picture and its meaning until we get to the end. But this picture is of the eastern wall of the old city of Jerusalem today. And if you know anything about this particular gate, it is the eastern gate. And it is a walled up. It's closed. It's been closed for centuries. In fact, that gate was closed when the Muslims had control of the city of Jerusalem. And they closed that gate and filled it in with rubble. There's little slits in the wall. You can walk up to it and look in it and it just rubble in behind it so that there'd be no way to get in through that gate. And if you want to know why they did that is that the Islam read the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish scripture says the Jewish Messiah will come from the east and he will enter the city through the eastern gate. So they had this brilliant idea that we'll just close the eastern gate. And there was a second part. If you look around the outside down here on the bottom, those are Muslim graves. They buried their dead bodies outside the eastern gate so that um, when the Messiah came, you know anything about Jewish law, Jewish law, uh, uh, a holy man or a man who is clean cannot be around a corpse. So they have this idea in their physical minds that the gate's closed and there's dead bodies outside the, the eastern gate. That'll be repellent for the Jewish Messiah that will come. And here's my point that we'll finish at the end today. That gate has fallen into a state of disuse. They don't use it. The Jews don't use it. You can't get in and out through it. Above that, by the way, is the Temple Mount. Right above that. The, the uh, uh, Mount of Olives is, is right over here. It's come up right here. It has fallen into a state of disuse because the gate's closed in 2,000 years now. The Jewish Messiah has not come from the east. Just hold that in your mind. Maybe you'll understand later when Jesus makes a statement. Abandoned. We've all heard horrible stories about children or babies abandoned by their parents, left in dumpsters, left in police stations, abandoned. Left without needed protection, left without care or support, left by their owner, their mother, their father, left to fall into a state of disuse. 
Now, here's the big question today. Would God abandon a group of people or a nation? Would God abandon a group of people or a nation? Would, would He leave a group of people without needed protection, without needed care, and without any needed support? Would God abandon a nation or a people or an individual? Now, this is kind of one of those theological questions that a, a lot of people struggle with the simple idea that if that's even possible because God is love. And today I want to say this going in, we, we don't need, including myself, we don't need somebody's opinion. We need truth. We need to see what the Bible specifically says about this issue of abandonment. I think we need to reverse the question to find the answer. Would a group of people, we've asked the question, would God abandon a group of people? So let's turn it over. Would a group of people abandon God? Would a group of people that have previously been in a relationship with Him, previously have lived under His protection, under His care, under His provision, would, is it possible for that group of people that have lived under His protection to then abandon God? In other words, can a people abandon the protection, care, and support of God? Can we abandon God? That's the question. Is it possible? Is that deep theological issue? Is it even possible for a group of people or a nation to live under the protection care of God for a period of time and then turn around and abandon God? What is the truth about that question? Not somebody's opinion, not what you read in a book. What does the Word of God say specifically about this issue? If you abandon God, will God then turn around and abandon you? Is it possible? What does the Bible say? Because it would be a really big question to find the really big answer to. We're not looking for opinions. We're in search of truth today. So let's begin with the people. I'm going to, I believe this is truth. And by the way, it's been a while since I've said it. I guess I need to catch up. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source, source of absolute truth on this earth. So if you're searching for truth, you would need to search the Holy Scriptures. So let's begin with the people in the time of Noah. What are we doing? We're seeking the answer to this question could a people who once walked with God then turn and abandon God? And if those people abandoned God, would God abandon them? So let's go to the people in the time of Noah. Did the people in the time of between Adam and Noah, let's just take a group. Did they live under the protection, care, and support of God from Adam to Noah? Yes. Yeah. He was their provider. He was their provision. He was... He was their God. He was in their life to some degree. And did the people abandon God in the days of Noah? Not opinions. Did the people? Does the Bible say that the people abandoned God in the days of Noah? Yes. And what happens next? Not opinions. Genesis 6 verse 5. 
the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he'd ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. You may listen. I'm going to wipe the human race from the face of the earth. Does that kind of sound like abandoned? Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence, and God observed all this corruption in the world. For everyone on earth, everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures. I have decided, God speaking, to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. That kind of sounds like abandonment. Did those people abandon God? His word, His laws. Reading that text, would you come to the conclusion that those people had abandoned God's laws, His truth, abandoning Him? Yes. And did God abandon them? Yes. He took away His protection, His care, His support, and He brought judgment instead of. God removed His favor from the people who had abandoned Him except for one family. Noah. This abandonment didn't begin with God. This is a big point. This abandonment did not begin with God. No, it began with the people who turned away and abandoned the God that had given them everything. God, however, joined in their abandonment. Are you listening? It's a key phrase. God joined in their abandonment. Maybe I should say, he participated in their own abandonment sequence. And he gave them what they wanted. A world without him. Abandoned. He abandoned them. So, let's just start here today. Do you accept this part of the story as truth? that God didn't abandon them. They abandoned him, and his response was abandonment. Noah and his family survived this abandonment event. Nobody else survived it. But Noah and his family survived this abandonment of God event called the flood. And by the way, I guess I need to probably do this. If you today sitting in the room, maybe you're watching online, and you in your heart reject the truth about the flood of Noah, that you've been intellectually, intellectually, intellectually compromised, and you now think you're smarter than God and there never was a flood, 
And if that's you today, can I just say, be careful, because that's where all abandonment begins. When you reject the Word of God, and you put in place of the Word of God another word, and if you're in the room today, and you, in your heart, don't really believe that there ever was a flood of Noah, that water covered the whole earth, and everybody died except eight people on a boat, you are abandoning God's Word. And I need you to understand that if you abandon God's Word, you are at the same time abandoning the Son of God. They are the same. They are the same. In fact, it's even more alarming when you consider the fact that so many people in the modern church would say to me, you know, I I believe in Jesus, and I'm a Christian, but I just don't believe in the flood. The problem with that is that Jesus quotes the flood. He quotes the flood. So which part of Jesus do you want? Jesus refers to the flood of Noah when he talks about his return. You believe in Jesus, but not the flood? Is that in itself an abandonment in itself? So let's go back to the story. One of Noah's sons was named Shem. Shem would eventually lead to another man of God named Abram. He would become Abraham. Abraham, like Noah, found favor in the eyes of God, and his family began to expand. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. This went on for some 400 years. 400 years of the children of Abraham living under protection, care, and support of God in his covenant under this promise of God, the Word of God through Abraham. 400 years. Abraham's family begins to grow. The children of Abraham, they're called the Hebrews, find themselves as slaves in Egypt. And I'm sure as slaves in Egypt, many of them felt abandoned by this God of Abraham. If you're a slave and your circumstances stink, it's real easy for your feelings to tell you that God has abandoned you. But God had not abandoned them at all. Exodus 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Now, I need you to focus on something. I have certainly seen. They're not abandoned. 
He's watching them. I have heard their cries. They're not abandoned. He's listening to them. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their sufferings. They are not abandoned. He has seen them. He is listening to them. And he is aware, fully aware of their sufferings. Verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them. This is not abandonment, right? I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into our, their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. Doesn't sound like these, they've been abandoned. He's listening to them. He's watching. He's fully aware. It's time for the deliverer. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. These people felt abandoned, but God was watching. He was paying attention. They're not abandoned at all. I have come to rescue them. Let me just say, make a pause. Church, don't live your life by your feelings. There's a feeling of abandonment because they couldn't feel his presence, but he was fully aware of their circumstance. They had not experienced any form of abandonment. God was working out a plan for their deliverance through a man named Moses. You know the story, Moses, he is a preview of Jesus. And until you start reading the Bible like this, you're going to miss much of the Old Testament wonder. Everything in the Old Testament reveals Jesus in some way, shape, or form. It's all just revealing Messiah. Moses is a preview of Jesus. He's a preview. And let me explain it to you. Moses was sent by God to to break the bondage of the Egyptians and take the people to the promised land so they could experience the covenant promise. He's a preview. Jesus comes from the Father to, to our Egypt. Our Egypt is the bondage of sin and death. What? To escort us by the Spirit into the promised land, heaven, His presence, so that we might experience the covenant promise of God. So Moses is this preview of Messiah, of Jesus. Moses delivered the people out of Egyptian bondage, and his plan, God's plan, is you're going to escort them as the, the deliverer all the way to the promised land. So, here's the question. Here's why I bring up the story and the connection. Is it possible that Moses and the children of Israel on their way to the promised land is another Noah type abandonment event about to take place. Let's call it abandonment number two. I told you abandonment number one is the time of Noah. When God comes and takes his people, his created people from Adam to Noah, and he brings judgment because they had abandoned him. So now we've got another group of people. Now it's not all the people on the earth. It's the people under Abraham's family. And they've been slaves in Egypt, and there's a deliverer going to take them what? He's going to take them to the promised land. 
Is it possible that what we're about to read is abandonment number two? Abandonment number two. Would the, and here's why I say that. Would the people that had personally experienced the protection, support, and care of God then turn around and ob- abandon the God that they had previously followed? Now, here's the connection between the last two weekends and today. Idolatry and apostasy always has an ending. It always ends in the same place. I went two weeks telling you the story of Jeroboam so that you would see that all of that, those two things, just two things, idolatry and apostasy ends in the same place. And here we are again, Moses is leading the children of Israel to the promised land, and idolatry and apostasy is going to come up in the wilderness before they arrive in the promised land. And what would the abandonment of God look like? Is this abandonment number two, like it was in the flood? What would it look like to a group of people? Moses, when we get into the good part of the story today, uh, Moses and Joshua have, have led the children of Israel all the way up to the Jordan River. Do you understand that just on the other side of the river is the promised land? It's the covenant promise of God. It's the land that God promised to Abraham. It's yours. But they're on this side. They're on the other side of the Jordan, and idolatry and apostasy is going to come into the camp. Idolatry and apostasy. So what would abandonment of God look like in the time of Moses? When you're just so close to the promised land. So let's go back. Moses is in Egypt, and God says to him, I've come down to rescue them. God is with them. So Fast forward, he's led them out. They've gone to the mountain, got the law, they built the tabernacle, and now they're standing at the Jordan River, two million people. Are you ready? Two million people. And they select one leader from each of the 12 tribes. 12 leaders, 12 men. And Moses sends them into the promised land to spy out the land, and for 40 days they sneak around and they spy out the promised land to come back and give a report. They come back and vote. They come back and vote. And uh, you know the story, I hope. They come back and vote, and the vote is 10 to 2. It's pretty overwhelming. Now understand, when I say 10 to 2, 10 of those leaders said, we can't do it. Is the land wonderful? Yeah, the land's wonderful. But the cities are fortified. There's giants living over there. We can't take this land. Only two people in this scene believed the Word of God. Okay? Now, here's why this is important. There was a point in the journey that all of them believed the Word. They all signed up to follow. At the mountain of God, the entire community said they believed the Word of God, and now they don't believe the Word of God anymore. Only two say they do. So what do you think is going to happen? The, the community, two million people, now hear about the vote of the leaders. Two million, two million, it's hard to even comprehend. Two million people now hear that the leadership has voted 10 to 2, we can't go over the river into the promised land. 
The majority, I want you to put this in your mind, the majority in this scene has voted for abandonment. No matter what they thought they were voting for, what they're voting for is abandonment. Why? Because the promised land is God's promise. To reject the promised land is to reject God's promise, is to reject God. They're voting for abandonment. Now, here's the question. Is this similar to what happened in the time of Noah? Is there a parallel to the two events? So, let's jump into Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the, now, this is after they've taken the vote 10 to 2. We can't do it. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. What? What, what are you protesting against Moses and Aaron? They didn't vote. Do you see what's happening? Pay attention. The entire crowd has been influenced by 10 men who were cowards and would not believe God's promises. Maybe I should say it like this. These 10 men have fallen into apostasy and idolatry. The apostasy is they're going, they believe the word once, but now they don't believe the word anymore. They have stepped away from the word and the promises. You might wonder, where's the idolatry? These 10 men are want to go back to Egypt. What's in Egypt? Idolatry. Idolatry and apostasy. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we'd have died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in the battle? Our wives and our little ones would be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, here it comes, let's choose a new leader. Moses, we don't like your sermon. We don't like your message. We don't like your leadership. Let's choose a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. You know what they're doing? They're rejecting the Word of God through Moses and they're rejecting the, the promised land in lieu of Egypt, which is idolatry. Egypt is idolatry. It's the golden calf. It's the worshiping the other gods except the God who's trying to lead you out of bondage. Idolatry and apostasy. And what would the abandonment of God look like in this scene? Do any of you think this was Moses' idea? Now they're rebelling against Moses. Is this Moses' idea? This is God's plan, and they are abandoning God, and God's plan to deliver them from bondage and give them a covenant promise in the promised land. The majority has voted. The majority has voted to abandon God. The majority. It's an overwhelming supermajority. It's 10 to 2. Ten to two vote for abandonment. Ten to two vote for idolatry and apostasy. I want to go back to Egypt, back to those idols, and I want to break the word of God that I once believed. God's anger burns against the people who are leading the entire nation. Ten men are leading the entire nation to abandon God. Moses steps in. He tries to quieten the crowd before things get totally out of hand. Verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people over in the promised land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. 
Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Now, the story began, let's get rid of Moses. Now Moses is standing firm. Let's get rid of Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they won't vote with us. We want them to vote with us. We're the ten. We want you to come over and vote with us. Join the idolatry. Join the apostasy. So it says they talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb. They're the two that voted, let's go in. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. That's the place when you say, "Uh uh-oh. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? You ready? I will disown them and destroy them with the plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. I'm going to ask you a question. Paul's in the story. Who's abandoning who? Who's abandoning whom? What is it at the end of idolatry? What is it at the end of apostasy? How will God respond to this event, to this vote? I will disown them and destroy them with the plague. The New American Standard Bible says, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. I will, how's God going to respond to idolatry and apostasy? Church, you better figure out how God responds to idolatry and apostasy. I will dispossess them. I will disown them. Those which were once mine will no longer be mine. Do you believe that? A lot of people don't believe that's possible. But their deliverer, I told you Moses is this preview of Jesus. He intercedes for them. God has just said, I'm going to dispossess, disown the whole bunch of them. So Moses intercedes. He stands between the Israel and God and begs for them. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them, Moses, as you have requested. But as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people, anybody listening? Not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence And the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never ever, they will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. What is at the end of every act of idolatry, unrepentant idolatry, and unrepentant apostasy. What is at the end? Abandonment. Do you believe that? Who abandoned who? Now listen carefully to what happens next. 
the Lord tells Moses that every male age 20 and up is going to die in the wilderness. It would have been a good week for you to be 19. The Lord tells Moses, every male 20 years of age and up is going to die in the wilderness for a single reason. Because they have abandoned God's promise to fight for them in the promised land. In essence, these people are going to die in the wilderness as a result of idolatry. They wanted to go back to Egypt and apostasy. They took the word of God that they once believed to be true and no longer believed it to be true. And he says, I will, you will die in the wilderness. Verse 31. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land. He's talking about the under 20 age. I will bring them safely into the land and they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you will drop dead in the wilderness. And your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness. Do you know that your idolatry and apostasy is generational? It's generational. They're going to pay. Your kids are going to pay for your faithlessness until the last one of you lies dead in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. And then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. Abandonment. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in this wilderness, and here they will die. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The vote was 10 to 2. Verse 36, the 10 men Moses had sent to explore the land, the 10 men that had led the entire nation into abandonment and idolatry, that led the entire 2 million people into this mess, the 10 men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with their bad reports, were struck dead. Where does idolatry and apostasy go? Where does it end? What does it produce? They were struck dead with the plague before the Lord. Of the 12 who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. Be careful how you vote. Is anybody listening? Be careful how you vote. Do you realize what that means? Let me give you a scale. They had taken a census of the people 20 years of age and up. That means, that ruling of God means 601,728 of you are going to die due to apostasy and idolatry. 601,728 are going to die. Two are going to cross over. That's not very good odds, is it? 601,728 of you are not going to make it. Two will make it into the promised land. God is going to abandon you to the wilderness outside the promised land. What? You're so close. It's within your reach. 
and you won't believe God. Your mind is drawn to Egypt. Your mind is drawn to idolatry. Your mind is drawn to rebel against the Word of God. That is to save you. 601,728 of them didn't make it and two did. Can you see a preview here? Some of you are thinking, well, what has this got to do with us? Everything. When the people heard this death sentence, it is a death sentence. You know what they did? They changed their minds. They changed their minds. They changed their minds, but it's too late. When they heard this death sentence, that 601,728 of you aren't going to make it. If you're 20 years of age and up, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're never going to see this land. Suddenly, everybody say, revote. Revote. We're going to recount. It's too late. Suddenly, they thought it was a good idea to believe God. There's a day coming when suddenly it's going to look like a really good idea to obey God. There's a day coming when suddenly it's going to look like a really bad idea to have any idolatry in your life. But it's too late. God's abandonment has been sealed. Now, let me say something. Some of you, and I'm not naive, some of you really don't like this story. And I'm going to tell you why some of you don't like the story. It refutes your man-made theology. It refutes your man-made theology. What? That God would abandon anyone. Verse 39. When Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. They got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go. You know what they're wanting to do now? Let's go to the promised land. Let's go. The, let's go. Let's go to the promised land. We realize that we have sinned, but now we're ready. Now we're ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. But Moses says, why are you now disobeying the Lord's order to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you face the Amalekites, the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Horma. So let's go back to my original question today. Would God abandon a group of people or a nation? Would God leave a group of people without needed protection, without care, and without support? Would God abandon people, a nation, individuals? Let's reverse the question. We're seeking truth, not opinions, not mine or yours. Would a group of people abandon the God that had previously given them everything? And if they did, what would it look like? 
to God. Idolatry and apostasy. Let me say it again. In this story, in Jeroboam's story, in all three of these sessions, one thing was clear. There is something about the human heart drawn to idols. Idolatry, a substitute of God himself. And there's something in the human heart that rebels against the word of God and listens to the other voice, the other word from the spirit war enemy. Is it possible for a group of people or a nation to live under the protection, care, and support of God for a period of time and then abandon God? And if you abandon God, will God then turn around and abandon you? Is it theologically possible? This entire sermon today, everything I've said up to this point is to make this statement. Are you ready? America has abandoned God. And what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? The majority of Americans have voted to abandon God. Do you believe that? Would you like to talk about something else? Because that's what I feel. A lot of people just don't want, let's just don't talk about it. Today, America is living out Romans chapter 1. What would it look like if God did abandon a nation? I just read to you what happened when he abandoned Noah. I read to you what happened when he abandoned the children of Israel in the wilderness outside the promised land. What would happen if he abandoned the nation? What would it look like? It's in here. It's here. It's in the Word. America right now is living out Romans chapter 1. The warning of God where he announces abandonment of the people. This is in the New Testament. It's not the Old Testament. It's to a Gentile church. Romans 1.18. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God. Because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have sent, seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I didn't know. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. Listen carefully. And as a result, something happens. When you get to this point, where it's the prelude of, of, of abandonment. He says that their minds became dark and confused. They, they just can't think straight. Everything becomes blurry and kind of upside down or sideways. And they just, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they, they claiming to have some kind of an enlightenment, they became instead utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped what? Idols. Do you see it? It's idols. It's idolatry and apostasy.
They became fools and they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Whether or not you want to admit it, whether or not you sit here today and you want to admit it, our nation was founded upon this. Read American history. It was founded upon the Word of God. And now our nation has abandoned that same Word that once gave us protection, that once gave us care and support of Almighty God. And our nation has turned to idolatry, and our nation has fallen into apostasy. And what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Does the Bible talk about what happens at the end of idolatry and apostasy? We are living out Romans chapter 1 right now in America. Next verse, verse 24. So God abandoned them. That's not what it really means. Yes, it is what it really means. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God. Here it is. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served things God created. That's the green movement. Let's worship the planet. They worshiped things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that is why, and that is why, anybody listening? That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Let me give you a history lesson. It began in the 60s with the sexual revolution and the rise of radical feminism that abandoned God's laws about sex and destroyed the biblical foundation of marriage itself. It's called apostasy. The sexual revolution turned into a homosexual revolution. Abandoning God's law about sin itself. God abandoned them to their shameful passion so that even women, did you notice he made a specific instance that even women who God designed to be the last line of defense for the family structure would abandon God's sexual plan for men and women would become lesbians. Women were designed by God to be the last line of defense for the family. That though the man may get distracted, the woman would guard the family structure. And even that, the last line of defense has fallen. Men with men 
women with women. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. AIDS comes into the world. STDs come into the world. Monkeypox now comes into the world. And an astounding, alarming number of suicides. If you read the statistics of suicides in the gay and lesbian world, it is mind-blowing. And here's the darkest part of all. From that movement of darkness, they say that the suicides are because the church won't go along with them. And because the church won't go along and vote with their side, they feel guilt and shame and no longer can find meaning of life. It's your fault, church. It's your fault. From their perspective, it's the church's fault because of the suicides, because the church won't come over and embrace the apostasy. This abandonment is not just sexual. It destroys the family. Can you see it? It destroys the family structure. The head of the family, the wife's role, the man's role, the children's role, the social structure of society itself has been affected by this apostasy. It destroys God's created order, the foundation of society. Verse 28, next verse. And since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, and since they thought it foolish, here it comes, here it comes. Do not be deceived, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Let me read the New American Standard of that same verse. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, any, they don't see fit to acknowledge God. Any, we don't need you anymore. We, we found new enlightenment now. We found new source of truth now. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. God abandoned them. The King James calls it a reprobate mind, a depraved mind, unable to think, unable to reason, understand, uh, un unable to understand truth, right from wrong, up from down. That's why in this movement, they can look you square in the eye and tell you that a man can have a baby and believe in their heart, absolutely believe in their heart that they're right and you're wrong. A depraved mind. This has destroyed the family structure, the fabric of society that God used to protect and care for His children. It has destroyed the family structure. Sexual sin, radical feminism destroys the, fam the foundation of the family, and the family is the foundation of a civil society. And let me just tell you, it's downhill from there. It attacks and abandons God's created order. Next verse. Verse 28, and since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, 
envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. Does this describe what's happening in America today? And I'm going to ask you a question. Who abandoned who? What do you think God's going to do? What do you think he's going to do? Nothing? The last verse from Romans chapter 1 is this. Verse 32. They knew God's justice requires those who do these things deserve to die. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things, mentioned in Romans 1, deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway, and they encourage others to vote with them. Do you remember the story, 10 to 2? And they encourage others to vote with them, to, to do them too. Church, listen to me. This was the story of Noah. It's the story of Noah. Nothing changed. This is the story of Moses and the children of Israel just outside the promised land. So, so, so very close to the promised land. And they're wanting to go back to Egypt and reject God's word. And this is the story today. There is something inside of each of us, God's natural law that reveals His righteousness to us. This verse is scary. It says they know it will bring death, and yet they do it anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do it too. They encourage, they know it was going to bring death. They know that at the end of the idolatry and the apostasy, there's death. And yet they do it anyway. And they encourage others to come, come, come vote with us. Come join with us. Come join with us in the apostasy. Come join with us in the rebellion against God. And there stands Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua, Caleb says, no, I can't. And there stands the true church. And the true church says, no, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. They want you to vote with them. The biggest pressure on the church in these last days will be they want you, the two, to vote with them, the ten. And many of you will. And many of you have. It's the pressure of the last days. I think of Joshua and Caleb, two men that stood up in the face of great opposition. They were ready to be stoned before they changed their vote. Why? Why? Because they knew that the abandonment of God is worse than the abandonment of man. Is anybody listening? The abandonment of man is temporary. The abandonment of God is eternal. They would not abandon God's word. Joshua and Caleb... God had promised them a promised land. Numbers 14, 24. Here's how it ends for Caleb. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude. He's got a different spirit. 
than those others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess the full share of that land. Do you know what that is? It's not just blessing Caleb for taking a stand. His family, his lineage, his legacy is blessed because of his stand. Now, why do I go through all this abandonment stuff today? Knowing, knowing for a fact, I'm going to get emails. I'm going to get nasty notes. I'm going to get people who will meet me at Walmart who hate my guts. Why do I do it? Two reasons. There are people in the ten that you can still reach. You can still reach them. I pictured a scene. I didn't think about this until after the first service today. I pictured when the vote came in 10 to 2 that I think both sides were trying to bring others over. And we're, we're now in the 10 to 2 world and both sides are trying to bring others over. Over. The ten are trying to bring the church over into their darkness and death. But we're trying to bring them over into life and freedom and forgiveness of sins and the mercy of God. There's still time. So if you find this sermon to be one of hate, you have no clue what this message is about. There is still a chance that they be redeemed, but they can only be redeemed by the truth. The greatest love you will ever show someone in the darkness is to show them the light of truth. But here's the second point, the reason I preach this sermon. I'll just read it to you, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And I'm going to hold it up. These things, everything I've told you today, Noah, Moses, the Jeroboam story from the last two weeks, these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God, He is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. But you, when he opens that door a way out, you must go through that door. When you're tempted, he opens a way out. When he opens that door, you must go through that door. In that moment, you must go through that door. You cannot abandon God's word when he shows you the way out. You must go through that door. I think it's going to get really hard to stand on the truth of God's Word in the coming days. But we understand the consequences associated with joining the rebellion against God. It's always been hard to follow after God. That's why Noah's family was the only one. That's why the vote was 10 to 2. That's why 601,728 men were abandoned to die in the wilderness just outside the Promised Land. They were so close. So close. Do you get it? Their abandonment of God kept them out of the promised land. This whole sermon comes to a conclusion. The abandonment of God 
kept them out of the promised land is still true. They are a shadow. They are a preview of our present reality. That's why Jesus said only a few will be saved. That's why Jesus says it's a narrow road to a narrow gate. And I want to go back to this original picture. Jesus says something to this city before he went to heaven. He says something to the city. Put the scripture up, Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. And now your house is abandoned. Now your house is desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you cry out, Baruch Shem Adonai. That is, blessings is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will never see me again. Understand something prophetically about that scene. He's in Jerusalem, and he says, how I long to open the gate. How I long to be your Messiah. I wanted to be the one that comes from the eastern gate and redeem my people. But you closed the door. You don't want me to be your Messiah. You're stuck in your idolatry and apostasy. And I will turn a generation to the Gentiles. You're in that generation. I'm going to tell you one day that gate's going to open. The Messiah will come from the east. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, walk through the Kidron Valley and enter the city. He will take his seat on David's throne. He will reign over this earth with justice and righteousness. That day's coming. And on that day, everybody will believe he's king. Just like on that day, everybody wants to go fight in the promised land after you find out that death is the alternative. Some of you get tense and nervous when I preach a sermon like this. Maybe you think you can just not take sides. Maybe you think you can just hunker your head down and be silent about this whole thing. Just get along. No, you're going to vote. You're going to vote. In fact, let me just tell you, your entire life has been voting up to this moment. You're in the 10 or you're in the 2. We're all voting. Abandoned outside the promised land. The story of Moses is a frightening story because it's a story of a people that have been called and redeemed by a deliverer, and yet they were abandoned outside the promised land. Why? Idolatry and apostasy. Is it real? Would God do such a thing? Theologically, listen very carefully. Here's the closing. God is the faithful one. I'm not worried about God abandoning me. Is anybody listening? I'm not worried about God abandoning me. I'm worried about me abandoning him. I'm worried about us abandoning him. He alone is faithful. This is how the Apostle Paul describes the true born-again church of the last days. The wilderness journey is difficult and filled with many trials, but I can tell you who's faithful. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are pressed on every side. 
Why? Because they want us to vote with them. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. Not the true church. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. The people of Israel wanted to go to the promised land. When they heard what God's abandonment looked like, you will die in the wilderness. And here we are today, just outside the promised land. And we have one much greater than Moses leading us. His name is Jesus. And today he says these words, follow me. He's the only way across the Jordan River, or you will die in this wilderness. He says this, follow me, or you will be abandoned to the grave. No one to rescue you from the grave. No resurrection of the dead. Follow me, or you will be abandoned, left without needed protection, left without care, left without any support. Follow me, or you will be abandoned. You'll be left by the Creator Himself, left to fall into a state of absolute eternal disuse. Today, my message to the church is, hang on. The promised land is very, very close. Our deliverer is coming, and he who endures to the end will be saved. Hebrews 10.35, the last verse today. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. And my righteous ones, that's the church, they will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We're not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. That's the ten. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. That's the two. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets kills God's messengers. How I long to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't let me, and now you are desolate. Just a few years after he made that statement, the Romans came and burned the city down. Now you're desolate and you're abandoned, and you will not see me again until you cry out, Baruch Ababa Shemadonai. You know, he didn't say you will not see me again. He says, the next time you see me, what will be coming out of your mouth is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He will come to Jerusalem, and that gate will open, and he will enter. And my fear is that many people sitting in the church right now still don't get it. Still don't get what's at stake here. Everything is at stake here. We're all voting. We're all voting. One side's ten, one side's two, and only a few will be saved. Those are his words, not mine. We're going to sing an invitation. I don't know what the Lord's doing today in your heart. I know this, that if the Lord calls you, today is the day of salvation. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. The stand, the invitation's open.